Hello, my name is Colleen Dietz. And I'm Miranda Crandall. We are the Angels on Fire. And this is Mormon Happy Hour. We are two post-Mormon gals bringing you the hottest topics in Mormonism. We will keep you current, keep you entertained, and keep you tuned in. Okay, today I'm going to go through a quick agenda for episode 18. We start off with our new life pro tip, then we jump into the Kenya World Tour that President Nelson just went on, followed by a hilarious faith-promoting rumor. And then we end with a fantastic interview with Leslie Butterfield and some interesting clips for some upcoming episodes. Also a little treat for you, we've got Scattered In Mormon Myths. Today, we have a Life Pro tip that is different than all of our other Life Pro tips. We're dipping our toes in some other issues today. (laughs) So we're going to talk about, uh, first, I just want to mention modesty. So modesty is a whole new realm that now we don't have to, uh, you know, we don't have to follow. We can decide for ourselves what is modest and what we are comfortable in. Uh Or if you are watching the video right now, you can see that my outfit would not be approved. (sighs) Corn shoulders. Uh, it's actually a dress too, so it would be. I think it might be too short for uh, garment bottoms as well. It's not. Why that are short, you so dressed up? You know, you know, <laughs> never are. So now you know. Go out there if you haven't already bought immodest clothing. Go out there, <laughs> buy a tank top, man or woman. Go buy a tank top. I don't know. See what you think. See how you like it. Wear it um, to the grocery store for starters. Just wear it somewhere. Yeah. See how it feels. Yeah. See what you think. Yeah, I loved it. I immediately, I once the moment that I decided that I didn't need to wear garments anymore, I took them off. It was right away, and I was like, "Wow, I'm not sweating my face off when I go outside." <laughs> and then there was me. It took me. Um, I stopped going to church, and I wore my garments for like a year after I stopped going to church. I admit, I still have not bought a pair of shorts oh, really? to wear out in public. So to each his own, you know? Yeah. It's okay. Pace, and you know what? I mean, that is totally Pacing fine. is okay. That's yeah. our point here. <laughs> so honor yourself, but be brave about it. Take steps and yes. explore. And, and it's okay. And feel everything out. Yeah. Being and, your authentic self just feels amazing. And so mm-hmm. now that I've experienced being my authentic self, I can't ever go back. So that's, I just want to segue into sex. <gasps> what? We're talking so, about that on our show? I know. I don't <laughs> think we ever have. <laughs> we probably never will again. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> so what do you have to say, Miranda? I'm all ears. So now we are magically not bound to waiting until marriage to have sex. What? Uh, go out, experiment, have fun. but. But for those of you who probably, most all of you, were not talked to about it, be careful. (laughs) Yep, I'd say that's probably one of the hardest things to learn as a Mormon is um, the whole um, safe sex, because that doesn't exist in Mormonism. No one ever talks to you about 
condoms or STDs or anything like that, or kind of um, evaluating your partner before making decisions like engaging in sexual intercourse and like maybe thinking about are they a healthy, clean, safe type of a person? Trustworthy. Like, you, you don't even think about that kind of stuff yeah. if you came from a Mormon culture. So, right. so we'll, we'll you, spell it out for you. Condom yeah. or birth control or both, all of the above. Please, yeah. you know, make sure that you keep yourself protected um, in that realm. And I'm going to extend that to vaccines. They have um, the vaccine against cervical cancer Mm -hmm. that just recently this year, Australia has eradicated cervical cancer from STDs. Wow. Yeah. So uh, the HPV virus you can get, uh, which is an STD, leads Mm -hmm. to cervical cancer or uh, something another cancer in men, like obviously cervical cancer would be for women there. Men can also get cancer from HPV. It's been eradicated because of the HPV vaccine. So get vaccinated. If uh, that is something, you know, do your research, but look into it. I think the biggest shift is let go of guilt, let go of shame. Those are no longer your priorities. If you are thinking about becoming sexually active, your priorities now are yourself, your health. Um, your emotional health, your physical health, um, and being safe and protecting yourself and just having a good time expressing yourself in a healthy and responsible manner. That's it. Just be careful. Don't, don't be crazy just because you can. And don't be filled with guilt. And don't tell yourself that it's not going to happen so you don't need birth control and you don't need a condom. Like, give yourself a way. Give yourself an out. Give yourself prepare, prepare to be, you need to prepare for success, basically. And and it'll happen. The last thing that I want to add on to this uh, episode's life pro tip is education. Um, That doesn't not only with sex education, but also education in general. Uh, Go out there, get yourself educated, learn about different religions, find a new hobby that you never thought you had time for now that you have time for because you don't go to church. Go out and learn something new. Yeah. Find something to fulfill you. Um, you can find spirituality in nature, in yoga, in cooking, yeah. in oh, like, like yeah, like you can, you can find fulfillment. You can find inner peace and spirituality and joy. All of those things that we were always taught that the, the only way to true happiness is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are a lot of ways that you can find fulfillment and joy and happiness in your life outside of that myth and do it. Please do it. Awesome. So there's an article published in the Deseret News by Tad Walsh. He is the number one reporter for Deseret News for the LDS Church. He has traveled to Kenya this past week with President Nelson and the first presidency. They're, they're on their uh, world tour. They literally called it a world tour. So the title of the article, let's just start with the title. Dowry is not the Lord's way. In Kenya, LDS President Nelson says tithing breaks poverty cycle. Like right there. Oh, that's, that's it. That's it. That's the whole story. The problems that jump out to me right away is dowry. So I just want to express off the bat, how out of touch these two 
geriatric white men from Utah are going into Africa and a culture that they're not a part of, a culture that they don't know a lot about and are telling them to end a practice that it's a generational practice of of a dowry. And in preparation for doing this podcast, Miranda and I, we wanted to do some research on dowries in Africa and whether it was a truly harmful practice that needed to end, or if it was just a cultural practice that the first presidency of the LDS church really just is out of touch with. And from the research we were able to find, it appears that the dowry culture within the countries in Africa is a positive culture. It's supported. It is a way for husbands to prove their loyalty and their support to their wives and that it is not at all paying for a wife. They would see the practice of paying for another human being as abhorrent. And that's not what the dowry culture is all about. And so number one, I have, I personally have a problem with them going into any culture, whether it be Kenya or New Zealand or any culture in the world and coming in and saying, we are going to bring our white supremacist culture from America and our our white religion and US based culture religion and you are going to practice this this culture that is ours and we're going to, you know, command you to practice it. It's just so out of touch, so inappropriate, so damaging to other cultures in the world. So it's so much so much erasure, so much trauma, so much so inappropriate to not honor other cultures. So that's the first problem that I have with it. Did you have thoughts on that? No, I completely agree. <laughs> no, no further thoughts. Uh, <laughs> we will be posting our, our links and sources in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. Wow, Miranda, this was amazing. So yes. I threw out a question to oh, maybe even a half dozen ex-Mormon groups on Facebook mm-hmm. and asked them, what Mormon sex myths should we talk about on Mormon Happy Hour? <laughs> so I wanted to talk about just a few of my favorites. Okay. Mormon <laughs> This one is from Megan Farmer George. And she said, It shouldn't be your expectation as a woman to hide to Kolob after mounting the Ramiumtum every time (laughs) so what this means in lots and lots of mormon jargon speak the basic message is that women you shouldn't expect to orgasm every time you have sex and that's the mormon myth so said in such amazing double speak that oh props to megan it was it was epic okay back to business so the second thing going on is in the same breath that he tells the people of Kenya that the culture of dowry is not the Lord's way. The second breath, he goes about telling them that tithing can break the cycle of poverty in poor nations and families. And this is this is Nelson's quote. We preach tithing to the poor people of the world because the poor people of the world have had cycles of poverty generation after generation. That same poverty continues from one generation to another until people pay their so the prophet says, if you give money to an American uh, church, there's air quotes around that, that it will improve <laughs> a country in Africa's economy by putting money yes. outside of the country. Hmm. That's, that's what the world. LDS church, that's what that has no logical sense. That's what Mormon God will promise you. 
And and so like this this is the problem I have with this whole thing is even even in the title of the article itself it says do not give money to your children and and their prospective marriages instead give that money to us God doesn't want you to support your children and honor a culture that has been around for generations and generations God wants you to give that money to an American US based white religion and then he will bless you to rise out of the poverty that is so endemic in in your culture and your country and it just i don't even know what else to say other than wow well yeah he's you know he's blaming the poor for being poor and i'm sorry i (laughs) i don't believe that they are poor because they don't pay their tithing Uh i believe that paying tithing will make them more poor yeah i agree um, and did you have some, did you find some myths in Sunday school quotes kind of go along with tithing and things like that? Oh yeah, absolutely. At com forward slash finances, you have a plethora of, of his awesome put together cards with the quotes all about tithing and all of the finances, including the April, 2018 LDS general conference notes. There are seven temples announced. Zero soup kitchens, zero schools, zero hospitals, and zero orphanages. So you know exactly where that money is going to. Straight to the Corn 15 and the temples. They're paying for these extravagant temples that, you know what, most of these people can't even go into. Right. Also, you know, unfortunately though, this quote from President Nelson is not unique. It happens all the time. For example, last year in, there was a broadcast to the LDS church members in Venezuela. Elder Carlos Godoy of the 70s said, I promise with the strength of my soul that if you were stronger in the payment of your tithing, you would change the economy of Venezuela. Wow. Um, and for those of you who don't know, the economy in Venezuela is pretty terrible. And the people there are very poor. And it's, wow. it's pretty sad to see over and over that the church is asking the poorest members for more tithing. Instead of building those soup kitchens and schools and hospitals and orphanages abroad, we're and asking them water, to give us Water purifiers. Money. So it's horrible, disgusting, but not <sighs> unique. And that even enhances how gross it is. Brandon, we just don't have enough faith in tithing. I want to introduce a really good friend of mine, Julian Jesse. He and I met a number of years ago in China. We were both in the same branch there um, as active Mormons in <laughs> tiny little branch in southern China. Thank you so much for coming on our show, Julian. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So, Welcome. So what are your thoughts on the dowry issue? Because you lived in Africa for a year. Right. So my wife and I lived in Africa from about 2013, August, to, for about, about a year until 2014. And it was a place that we both wanted to go. Uh, we had planned on staying there uh, for a while, but we, you know, we, um, my wife got malaria while she was pregnant. And for, for people who don't understand, uh, we were in West Africa, the country of Cameroon specifically. It is 75% unemployment. Um, minimum wage is $60 a month, okay? Wow. So I just want you to think about that. 75% unemployment. Most of, most of how the Cameroonians 
deal, do with their day-to-day lives are they do it's the barter system. So they do a lot of trade because most people are officially unemployed. And so when I heard uh, Nelson's comment about tithing, uh, I was quite disgruntled by it. And he, not only did he seem out of touch, but he just kind of seemed like an asshole, quite yeah, frankly. Absolutely. We can talk about poverty all day and I knew about it, but until you actually see it and you live in it and you employ five people uh, like my wife did, and we have people constantly coming up to us asking for jobs, then you know, asking for somebody to pay even, I mean, for example, not to go on a tangent, but these people didn't have money to go to church, let alone pay tithing. Yeah. Um, the, church, the church brought in approximately, if you, you could look this up on Forbes, uh, they brought in about $7 billion in, I believe, the quarter of 2016. So they asked for these people to pay $6 a month on $60. And that's only averaged out to about a fourth of the country it's just utterly ridiculous, insensitive, yeah. and it's quite frankly, it's cruel um, yeah, to, to even suggest that these people aren't getting ahead and they're impoverished because they don't pay tithing. And may I add that Cameroon is a highly religious country, so they do pay to their religious leaders. Um, 20% of the country is Christian, another 20% is uh, Muslim. So it's not like these people are not, not you know, under the realm and, and dichotomy of Christianity, it's not like they're not religious people because they are. They're highly faithful, very hardworking people, and they have to be because they have to survive. This is not their, their choice to be born in this condition. And I've done some research on the country long after I left, and I've known Cameroonians who've left the, left the country. And this does not include a, a government which literally stole money out of people's bank accounts. So these are the things that have happened over the last 15 years. And I've spoken with some refugees when I, when I lived in Hong Kong, and they did not put themselves in this situation. They were put in this situation. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was my first reaction as well, is he's asking not, not just poor people, but so impoverished people to give them more money. It's, uh, it's just not right. And it's so accusatory and so belittling to say that, oh, the, the reason you have generation after generation of poverty is because you are not doing this thing that our church is requiring you to do, that God is requiring you to do. Like you are failing God and that's why you're in poverty is basically what he's saying. That's what I hear. And, you know, and I understand that Nelson is, you know, in his mid to early 90s and it plays into the idea that impoverished people have to pull themselves out of their own situation without help from the masses. And that whole idea has been debunked over and over and over again by, by study after study, um, that it takes mm-hmm. more than impoverished people to get themselves out of a, a situation. Right. I'm so glad that you were able to <laughs> tell <laughs> Thank us you your thoughts about that. Another comment from Libby Potter Boss. She said, If all the faith-promoting lies told by all the undereducated seminary teachers were laid end-to-end, we'd have a stairway to the planet where the lost ten tribes live. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> it's definitely the case with the sheer amount and volume of Mormon myths that have been pouring into us now. That is a spot-on observation. Absolutely. All right, I do have something to lighten the mood today. I stumbled across the most amazing faith-promoting rumor. Miranda, are, 
are you ready to go back to church? Because this is going to change your world. I'm ready. ready? I'm ready to be happy. I just want you to know how much God cares about your toilet paper. Are you ready? (laughs) Okay. So this comes to us from Maverick Mormon on Twitter, who is at Burr underscore Riggs, R-I-G-G-S. He is our secondhand source, I believe, on this wonderful faith-promoting rumor that I was able to... Let me bear my testimony of this faith-promoting rumor. Here we go. I heard about a pair of LDS missionaries who wanted to obey the rules with exactness. They ran out of toilet paper, but technically were only allowed to shop on paydays. So they obeyed the law of God instead of the lust of the flesh. Jesus placed a fresh roll in their path. So that was the end of the tweet. And I'm like, oh my, oh my, oh my God, I need, I need to know the rest of the story. So I quickly tweeted and let Maverick Mormon know. Um, I'd like to hear more about this. This is exactly the kind of faith promoting rumor that we talk about on Mormon Happy Hour. How exactly did Jesus Christ present this fresh role to these righteous boys? And his response was, first, they miraculously found the fresh roll, the first roll, while walking through a park. A divine gift, you might say, later, as a result of their faith, devout members provided them a larger supply. To some is given one roll, and to some another, that all may be wiped thereby. (laughs) So, this is a wonderful faith. Are you ready to... Are you ready to go back to church with your roll of toilet paper, Miranda? Well, that depends. Did I steal it from a homeless man? <laughs> oh, oh, let me, let me, let, it, it, he, he does, he does give that caveat. <clears throat> I should add that before they snatched up the first roll, they were sure to look around the park to ensure that the roll did not belong to any nearby homeless bum. Thus, they were not stealing. This was manifestly favor from on high, a direct result of their exact obedience. Wow. I'm glad you asked that question. So- yeah. Man, you know, I, I really think that um, the church got their stories mixed up here. They they should have brought this talk to Kenya. Right. <laughs> and the Kenya talk should have stayed in Utah. Is that just me? <laughs> I agree. I think that those were definitely more appropriate messages. But <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> keep that in mind that if you are righteous, that the Lord will provide to wipe your ass. Now, are you ready to go back to church? I'm ready. I'm ready. Right. Do I get free toilet paper? Yes. If you are righteous. If I'm righteous, then I get free toilet paper. Today, we have Leslie Butterfield on the show. She composed an op-ed in the Sunday edition of the Salt Lake Tribune. Thanks so much for coming back, Leslie. We're so thrilled to have you back on the show. Um, the last time we had you on, we talked about your activism and your website called unrighteousdominion.org. So before we end today, I wanted to make sure that we plug that again and kind of explain your purpose and vision with that website. And thank you so much for coming back to talk to us. We're thrilled. Yes. Sure. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Absolutely. So um, we have a few questions we'd like to ask you about your op-ed. My first question was that what has been the most pronounced response that you've had from the article? Definitely support. Support, support all across the board. Been very, very supportive. And I set a boundary. I'm not going to read the comments. You know, I'm not... (laughs) I, I broke that boundary a couple times because <laughs> uh, I wanted to get the feel of how it was being responded to, and uh, it was overwhelmingly supportive. So many people have said, thank you for putting into words what I feel, and um, this is exactly, you know, you touched on a lot of the problems and the issues that need to be addressed and need to, you know, be um 
made aware of. Yeah, absolutely. So just a little recap for anyone who hasn't read her op-ed. She, you wrote um, a letter to the church, right? About, yeah, so can you a, tell us like a little... Uh, or a, right, so it's an open letter to the LDS patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in contact with the editor of the Tribune, he said, okay, patriarchy, do we capitalize it? Do we not capitalize it? It's a system, really. I mean, I'm addressing the system, not one leader in particular, no one group. It's really just the system that, that the church is in. And yeah. I said, I, I understand that it normally wouldn't be capitalized, but in this case where I'm, I'm talking to the system like it's a person. I wanted that personification, you know, and mm-hmm. I wanted it to have that effect when people read the letter. And so, you know, it's, a, it's an open letter to the LDS patriarchy and, and people can uh, deduce what they feel about that. Yeah. So has the church itself responded at all? Like, you know, whether the leaders re- reference it in something or secretary guy has messaged you, has any of that happened? No, um, I don't, I didn't expect it to. I mean, I, you know, they can't go around responding to every op-ed and there, you know, has been several and there will be several more. But um, curiously, I did get just this morning, I got a um, call from my branch president. um, And it's a, yeah. (laughs) You mentioned anger in your letter. It says, Joan Chittister states that anger can be a positive thing that moves us beyond the acceptance of evil. So I'm wondering, what are your opinions and insights to how anger can help with healing? Yeah, anger is an emotion and it is on the spectrum of all emotions somewhere. And when you go through something traumatic or traumatizing, uh, like abuse, whatever type of abuse it is, you will experience all of those stages of healing through your grief, you'll experience all of those stages. And anger is one of them. And oftentimes, through the work I've done and the support groups that I've been a part of, people say that anger is the driving force for them to help them at least be functional, especially after afterwards, when they are like in the thick of the trauma, anger can keep you functional, it can keep you, you know, healthy, in a way from sinking into despair, you know, which depression is another emotion, you know, stage of healing that you go through. But the anger, anger is a healthy emotion, It, it gets such a bad reputation or villainized so much, especially in our teachings in the church. And it's a, you know, it's a very protective emotion. I mean, when you're angry mm-hmm. at someone, you know not to go around them. And you can, it, it helps you set boundaries. It helps you protect from further trauma, I think, in some cases. And there's nothing inherently bad about it. You know, I, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've heard people say, you got to let go of your hate or why. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I'm not a hateful person. Like, right. I, this is meaningful to me. You know, this is my experience that, that has made me aware of some very pervasive issues. And I care about it. And of course, there's an element of anger to it because it shouldn't happen. This, this spiritual abuse that is happening in many different ways in our church system, in our culture, it should not happen. And I'm angry that the church knows about this and they're not responding in a responsible or appropriate way. 
Yeah. Well, and in your letter, you, you said right after that quote with uh, Joan Chittister, you say, won't you honor our anger? And at first, when I read that, I was, it just stood out to me. I wasn't sure what to take from that, but I really think I, you know, I agree with you. And I think that them honoring your anger is a, honoring your grief and honoring your healing path. Help, help us heal here. That's what I got from that sentence in your op-ed. Exactly. Exactly. So has any of your activism efforts changed since um, the Joe Bishop recording was released? Yeah, definitely. So when I first began on RighteousDominion.org, it kind of spurred from the stories that I was personally hearing about women who were maybe in an abusive relationship and weren't supported and went to their leader and, you know, were counseled extremely inappropriately in that situation. Right. Um, And so that was like, okay, this is going to be my focus, you know, since then, I, the, the submissions that we've gotten on the website have spanned genders, races, ages, member activity, statuses, whatever you want to call it. It's all across the board. It's a, it's a subversive problem all across the board. You know, I, my own blind spot, like realizing my own blind spots in it. I got a story recently um, that I need to upload, but it's a, from someone in the LGBTQIA community. And his story is shocking and heartbreaking and totally like full of spiritual abuse, I can tell you. And my mission has kind of expanded to, you know, instead of zeroing in on, on one group or one gender or whatever it is, you know, really saying, you know, under the umbrella of spiritual abuse and ecclesiastical abuse, all of these things, there is so many people that are affected and honoring all of those people um, is important. So that is, you know, kind of changed. I broadened that view um, that I personally held and I'm still learning, you know, um, about, about those things and constantly being made aware of my own blind spots, you know, and I think that's important uh, Mm -hmm. to learn about. And then the other direction I think that has changed is that I have been so disheartened at the church's response, yeah. you know, and, and whereas I thought, okay, let's honor the stories of survivors and, you know, maybe that will um, help affect change or help at least spread awareness of it. I, I see that the church either doesn't respond which is a response, or right. that they respond completely missing the mark, and it's re-traumatizing. And that, that is something that, you know, I didn't think I was going to speak on or have an opinion either way, really, about how the church would handle it, you know, but that just goes a lot right along with it. I mean, when I first created the idea for Unrighteous Dominion, I wasn't really thinking, yeah, you know, what kind of changes would we want? I was just thinking, Let's honor the stories and, you know, maybe increase awareness that way. But it became very clear that we have to have advocacy efforts for changes and partner with the other advocacy organizations and efforts that are out there to affect change. I really like that. Absolutely. I think I, I, and as you were saying that, I I thought of Sam Young's campaign and he's been at this for about a year now, I want to say. And he's been collecting stories just like you have, you know, on worthiness interviews. And I was just reflecting recently on how much we all have learned by reading the stories that are pouring in and how complex and more pinpointed 
we're becoming knowing exactly what the issues are with like worthiness interviews, for example, like the grooming that happens or, you know, that they're prompting disclosures from children that are suffering from abuses and how it, it's setting the stage for disclosures and, and, and how they're not trained. Like all of these things that we're learning, I feel like you're in the early stages of that, just like Sam was a year ago. And how much, like what a wonderful opportunity this is for us all to kind of listen to the stories that pour in and learn where the problems are and how we can fix it. And I think that's wonderful. It's a, a wonderful first step. And I'm I'm so excited to kind of, you know, support you in that and figure out where the problems are and how we can go about, like you said, being advocating for that specific change. Yes. Well, Colleen, um, do you have any final questions or thoughts that you'd like to talk with Leslie about? Um, I'm just really grateful mainly for the work that you're doing in unrighteousdominion.org, the website. And, and I really look forward to, I know you and I have talked a lot about it and maybe this is an opportunity that I can put it out there and hopefully we can make it happen. I, I've had a lot of experience going through um, a, a temple ceiling cancellation process as you and I have spoken about. I admin a group on Facebook that's full of people that have either gone through the process or who are going through the process or who even want to start it and have questions. And, and that process alone is full, full of unrighteous dominion. Um, there's lots of leadership roulette, which will unfortunately um, result in quite a bit of spiritual abuse and ecclesiastical abuse. I really want to make the the formal temple ceiling cancellation process more approachable to any individual, no matter their membership level, their activity level, their belief level. I want to make the process more accessible. And it's so subject to leadership roulette that I would love to kind of give people an idea of what to expect so that they can can kind of be protected in a way or uh, empowered in a way to know the process to avoid the ecclesiastical abuse or the spiritual abuse and and be empowered to know, okay, these are the steps. This is what I have to expect. Right. And so I would someday, once I can get that these ideas in my head all down, I would love to kind of create that and, and partner with you in some way so that we can all kind of share these experiences together to help people moving forward to have better experiences in the future and to avoid the anger and the rage and the feeling unsafe that I experience and know what to do and what steps to take to avoid all that. And on the on unrighteousdominion.org, uh, I do link to resources for survivors that do share their story or anyone that you know visits the site so there are resource pages uh directing them to trauma groups in the like trauma support groups online directing them to domestic violence you know hotlines sexual assault uh organizations things like that and then i do have an advocacy page as well so if they want to get involved there is advocacy groups that are linked to so sam young his efforts to protect LES children are on there some other things are on there which are important and i think that the um temple ceiling cancellation process needs to be an advocacy point of advocacy in the church Leslie, do you have anything else that you'd like to add about your op-ed or your website or any other activism that you're involved in right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm just really grateful uh, to the Tribune for corresponding with me because it, it, they wanted me to cut it down and cut it down and 
you know, they were very, very patient. He was very patient with me, the editor. And um, I, I think that through that process, it made me realize what is the most important, you know, issues to highlight here. And I got those in, you know, I'm, I'm just so grateful that they are, I mean, I, I thought it was kind of inflammatory. I didn't know if they would publish something like that, but they did. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm certainly so grateful, you know, for freedom of the press. So I want to say that everyone who's reached out also, I've had a lot of people reach out to me privately, sharing their stories or wondering, you know, what they can get involved in. And I would love to connect everybody to a cause, you know, that's important to them or in their area or, you know, something they can do. So if there are other advocacy efforts, please contact me and I'll put them on the site. And I really think that, you know, it all it really does need to be a collaborative advocacy partnership between all groups, all genders, all races, all ages, all activity levels, you know, I and, and I think that's why Sam Young's uh, so successful, you know, in what he does. Now the church, you know, they're responding hasn't, I don't think exactly very appropriate in that situation. But I think that mm -hmm. if, if they see that, you know, these, these advocates are not going to just go away. I mean, that they really need to look at the issues, you know, don't treat them like they're some apostate ex-Mormon and then write them off. I mean, right. why, like ask me my story and I will share it and ask me about how patriarchy affects me every day and how it affects, you know, the elders quorum president in that ward and how it affects the bishop and how it affects the Relief Society president. I mean, it affects everybody. All of these things do. And instead of kind of attacking the messenger, like listen to the message and really dig at that, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's what I would implore. That's my hope. And I think that's the hope of a lot of people that do advocacy work within the church. Yeah. And I mean, I would say my final thoughts would just be, thank you. Thank you for doing this, all this advocacy work and all this activism and um, writing something like this op-ed, you know, and, and a thank you to all the activists out there. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think also real quick, I like to term my efforts and everybody else's efforts as not speaking out so much against the church, but raising awareness of something, an opportunity that the church has to really better itself. I mean, isn't that what we're all about is bettering, you know, ourselves and, and mourning with those who mourn and comforting and burying another birth. Like that is a beautiful covenant that we make at baptism. Okay. In the Mormon faith. I love that. Thank you so much, Leslie, for sharing your thoughts um, on our show. We love to have you anytime. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And Miranda, we definitely need to talk about the issue of having sex with your garments oh, on brother. because apparently that's a thing yeah. that not everybody was taught. But a fair amount of people have passed this on from bishop to mother to child that um, you need to have your garments on while you have sex. So um, what's your experience with that? I remember specifically being told that I didn't need to. But that was not by uh, religious leaders. It was by family. Last but not least, in the Mormon Happy Hour podcast Facebook group, we have a great thread discussing the issues around black people being banned from the priesthood, specifically a few of our favorite quotes from church history. Thanks to those who participated. And if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Now, 
Here's a little teaser clip from our upcoming episode where we discuss this band and the church's celebration of the band Lift with Julian Jesse. Most of what you said, it is egregious that they're calling it a celebration. Now, let me just slightly, and I know that sounds like we're pulling hairs, Miranda, but let me just slightly disagree with a little bit of what you said. So with this situation, you have um, black members of the church who are coordinating and planning. Well, it's a 40-year anniversary of the lift of the ban. And they still will not issue any sort of apology, which is... All right, that's all we have for today. Be sure to check out the Mormon Happy Hour podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. Thanks for listening to the Mormon Happy Hour. Cheers! Cheers.